Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Well, let's stand. You ready? All right, I'm a child of God. The Father loves me. Father forgives me. The Father wants me. I am His, and He is mine. Therefore, my past won't haunt me. The future doesn't scare me, because in His presence is where I live. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, just a reminder, towards the end of the message, I'll, I'll mention something that those who are getting baptized today can go ahead and get ready, and then they'll meet in the study, which is a room back here where uh, Karen will meet you and uh, get you lined up for our baptisms. That's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. You, you can clap for that. That's a, Yeah. Well, we have been, started our journey uh, a couple weeks ago in the book of 1 John, and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and uh, we went through basically just the first four verses, and if you remember uh, what we uh, picked up there, um, we saw that, uh, excuse me while I, I do two things at once, it's not as good as it used to be, multitasking, but we're getting through it. Okay, uh, what we began to, to see... Uh, in First John, in the first four verses or so, is John used some pretty descriptive uh, words in talking about Jesus, didn't he? He used his senses, you know, that which was from the beginning, that what we've seen, that we've heard, that what we touched, that which, which we scrutinized. He, 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 he used some distinctive language in the beginning of this, really focusing around our senses. And, and the reason why he did that, what we discovered last week, was that there was the beginning of things going around that of, of Gnosticism that would not be formed uh, till later on formally, but the tenets of it. Uh, were beginning to happen at that time. And basically what that was saying was that, you know, all matter was evil and only the spiritual was good. And then when you take that out, what you say is that Jesus could not have come in the physical because all matter is evil. Because if he comes in the physical and all matter is evil, then he's not the perfect sacrifice. Well, there's problems with that. We know that. We get that. And so John is recognizing some of the things that are happening. And he's like, no, no. John's like, well, I beheld him. I touched him. This wasn't just a spirit walking around on the earth. This was flesh and blood. This was God incarnate. And so he's addressing those things as they formally begin. And, and, and honestly, as, as these, these apostles were pretty much thinking that they were probably going to see Jesus come back. As I read, I, I kind of see like they're like, this is short and we're probably going to see him come back and the message has got to get out there to their known world at that time. Um, but then they start realizing that they're getting older, and some of them are, are passing away. And so they're really wanting to get some of these things and these letters down on 
paper so that if they pass, there is a record of, of what they've seen and what they've heard and teachings and so forth. And then Paul, is, who's, who would describe himself as one born out of time, who is an apostle. He wasn't with the original 12, but he comes a little bit after. And Paul's writing letters to pastors, and Paul's writing letters to churches, and really just encouraging them. Sometimes he's, you know, correcting and some encouraging, and a lot, he's doing a lot of times both of those things in letters. And so we come to John, uh, 1 John, who is also the writer of the Gospel of John. And we know that um, uh, as we're going through here and, and we're reading these things, that John is, has had an interesting life. He is the only uh, apostle who is not necessarily going to be martyred for his faith, but it's not because they didn't try. You know, they boiled him in oil, it's what we believed, and you survived that. And they threw him alone on the Isle of island of Patmos to die, and he survives that. But from that, we get some wonderful letters to churches that we uh, need. Uh, his gospel, the letters of First John, and then the book of Revelation. And so let me just say that even in suffering, good things can happen. Your suffering that, that we go through, uh, the gospel is not a gospel of no suffering. The gospel is a gospel of overcoming in every circumstance that the world may throw at you because of Jesus who is in you. So, bad news is, is there's suffering in the world. Good news is, is that Jesus has overcome it. And because he's overcome it, we have overcome it too. Now, John is going to kind of break this down here in a little bit, and uh, we won't take very long today. Of course, I say that, and the Holy Spirit can get involved, and who knows what will happen. We could have 500 baptisms. We'll do it. Um, We'll start with verse 5 and, and just kind of uh, see where we, we go through the end of this. So as he's, talked about, as he's talked about Jesus is and that he's beheld him and that they've sensed him, and, and you look at some of this that, you know, we, we saw him with our eyes, we observed him, we touched him with our hands concerning the word of life, it was revealed to us, and, and, and then we testify. Now, it's interesting because never in the gospel do you not have a testimony of Jesus. If you have a testimonyless church, you may not be a church, right? Because Jesus, when he shows up on the scene in your life, there's always a testimony. There's always something to say about what Jesus has done. Now, you may be saying to yourself, wow, man, I don't know if I have a testimony. Listen, you got a testimony. You just may haven't dusted it off in a while. Okay? If you're in Christ, you have a testimony of what Christ has done for you. You have a testimony of living on this earth and going through struggles and trials and how Jesus has been with you and you've sensed his presence and you've seen his miracle working power in the midst of things that over you thought in your natural would overwhelm you, but you stood against that mountain and you prevailed and you've seen. So you have a testimony of not just your salvation, because you know it's not just he saves you and then He'll come get you at the end. He's with you every step of the way. He says to his disciples, and he'll say this to you as well too, it's for us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. So that means as I'm walking down the road of my life, Jesus is with me through the Holy Spirit every step of the way. You can say amen to that. Because that's a testimony. In my darkest times, he was there. Even when the darkest times were my fault. It's not that he's with me when somebody does me bad. He's with me when I do myself bad. 
He's with me every step. The wonderful testimony of David is like, even though I make my bed in hell, you're still with me. Hey, that's a, that's a good promise, isn't it? Even though I do dumb things, you're still with me. Anybody ever done any dumb things? Of course. Yeah. Oh, you, we all got a testimony of that. Everybody's like, oh, amen, amen, yeah, yeah. And still doing them. Okay. But Jesus is good in the midst of all that. So now what we see happening in after he's described all this stuff, we, we see that um, he kind of shifts a little bit. He kind of gives like, this is what we have seen, this is what we observed, and this is what we're talking about. This is our testimony of, of, of not just, of, of walking with him for three years, but seeing the miracles that he's done, and, um, and all of it. Seeing him resurrected, seeing him crucified. Now John, John would have been there as he's dying on the cross, right? So John, John has seen it. John saw him die on the cross. Spear into the side, the blood and the water flowed. He, he's a witness to all this, but he's also a witness to the resurrection, isn't he? Jesus has come, and uh, they have, uh, Paul talks, or, uh, talks about that he, is, he was seen by over 500 people at many times, 500 at once, and he was seen ascending. So they, 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 have, they have valid testimony of his, of his resurrection his life, his purpose. And now it's going to switch just a little bit because um, I don't know if you know this sometimes, but in the world, there can be some duplicity. And sometimes the first place that you kind of notice sometimes this duplicity happening is not with the other guy. It's with me or it's with you. And so let's read what, what John has to, to say here. He says, now this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. So he's not coming up with his own words. He's like, this is the message we have heard. And now we're going to declare it to you. This message that was spoken from him, we have received, and now we're going to declare it to you. And this is what he says. He's like, listen, um, uh, that God is light and there's absolutely no darkness in him. Now, I think you could probably spend a couple, three Sundays just on that statement. Because there's a lot of things that are out there about God, the Father, just as much as there are a lot of things out there about Jesus' Son, and a lot of theologies that are out there about the Holy Spirit. But you have to be careful because just because somebody's saying something about the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that it's true. Everything that we need to know has to first be based off the testimonies that are spoken of in the Word of God by the people who were there about those, about God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, um, so he's going to say that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So there's not a hint of darkness. There's not like, it's not like 70-30, where, you know, 70% of God is really good. You know, you know that's a that's seventy thirty is not a bad as long as you're on the seventy percent aspect of it. That's not too bad, right? You know, eighty twenty, ninety ten. Remember, remember back in the eighties when insurance was like ninety ten. Remember that? Long gone, right? He's saying there's absolutely no darkness in God. That's hard for us to kind of comprehend a little bit, isn't it? 
Because we don't always see that in us. And we're his creation, right? So uh, everybody in the world is God's creation, but not everybody in the world is God's son or daughter. There's a distinctiveness there. And, and one of the things that people will confuse is they will say, we are all God's children. And that is absolutely not true. You are all God's creation, but you do not become a child of God until you have re- been born again through Jesus Christ. And then you are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of light. And you become adopted as a son or daughter. So everybody is God's creation. But only in Christ are you, do you become a son or daughter. Now, before I get ahead of myself, we know that he is, he is light, and there's absolutely no darkness in him. Well, why would, why would John say that? Well, he's giving a true testimony of, of, of who God is, but there's also some things that are going along that are some wrong testimonies of, of who God is. That, you know, God, God is both, <laughs> that but the testimony doesn't say this. So if you look at darkness, it's, it's meaning, it's, it, it means uh, darkness. The darkness due to a want of light. It's a metaphor used of ignorance of divine things and it's associated wickedness and the result is misery and hell. Whoa. So you've heard probably teaching out there that God... God sends evil people to hell. I'm going to tell you, God sends nobody to hell. He hasn't. As a matter of fact, hell was not created for man. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. Hell was not created for you. Hell was not created for mankind at all. And God never sends anybody to hell. God's light is Jesus whom he sent to redeem mankind from what they couldn't redeem themselves from. That's all light. And so he saves the individual now. And Ephesians tells us that at your salvation you become seated in the heavenlies. So there's a transaction that happens that moves me from the wickedness that I was born in and I do into light with a God conscious that now convicts me of sinful things to not to do them. Yeah, hallelujah. And then there's coming a time where he's going to set everything straight because he's going to show up on the scene again. And those who are with him will go with him. And those who are not are those who've decided not to receive him, his his sacrifice. And it's interesting because... um, And I say this to you all the time, but in the world that we live in, there's a lot of wrong testimony about who God is. Like in in Sunday school, that thing you were talking about, you are enough or or whatever. And and, um, I was just, I wanted to say it, but the conversation was moving fast. So um, the reason people are saying those things is because we are so full of American Jesus and American God that when you're reading the parable of the Son or the talents, you can't understand how the master could be that way because your God is far too American and far too loving to ever be anything else. 
And so what we do then is when we have, with American eyes, created an American God, an American gospel, we have tainted what the original gospel and the original word of God is about. And so then we start talking in these things that God has never said, and it's never come out of his word, things you'll never hear the Bible say, follow your own heart. Be true to yourself. Oh, those are great American terms, but they're just not biblical, and they're actually counter to what the Bible says. And there's a lot of them out there. God helps those who help themselves. If he could, if he would, if he did, why would he have sent Jesus to die? God helps those who cannot help themselves. I could not help myself. I could not free myself. I could not get myself out of what, was, what I had gotten myself into or what I was born into. But he did. There's no darkness. In, now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't use darkness. So you're kind of splitting hairs there? No, I'm not. He's not evil. There's these wonderful scriptures in, in Romans and, and throughout the Bible that talk about that even the darkness he can use and change into good. Even what you're going through, even the impossibility of it that you're facing, that God can come into the darkest times and even use what the darkness was trying to do to, to lay you heavy or lay you out, that God can come in and, and find good and, and make beauty out of the ashes. Oh man, that's what he does. Some of you are still walking on that path to find the beauty of the ashes of your life. I get that. And I don't, I'm not making light of the things that people have gone through. I'm not. There are some painful, deeply heavy woundings that, that people have been through. And you cannot just throw a cliche scripture at something, like take two scriptures and call me in the morning. That's not what the Bible is about. The Bible is about getting this into me and living by it, the longevity of it. There are times when God comes in and, and things can happen quickly, but most of us are going to sense his presence by walking every step through the valley of the shadow of death but fearing no evil because we know he's with us every step of the way. And he allows us to sense his presence in, and his power in some of the most powerless situations that we find ourselves in. Ooh. See, if I, if I be true to myself and I follow my own heart, I always end up in the wrong places. I always do. My troubles get worth worse because my heart is deceitfully wicked. Everybody is good. Everybody has a good heart. That's counter to the Bible. There's nothing good in me until Jesus comes and the change that happens. And then what is good in me is, is him. See, I don't make myself holy. He makes me holy. The Father sees me through the sacrifice of the Son, which means that he sees me as perfection. Because, and he's like, but Steve, you still do bad things. I, I get that. 
But there's nothing as bad that can outweigh the goodness and the perfection of the sacrifice that came. That's what we have a hard time with. We struggle with that. I get that. Well, how can, can God really save this guy who did all these horrible things, all this over there, and, and blah, blah, blah. So, hey, listen, if you're asking me if anybody can truly repent, I'm going to say, yeah, they truly can. That doesn't mean they get out of the consequences of things on this earth. Some people may spend the rest of their lives in jail for what they did, but can Jesus come in the midst of a jail and save them? Absolutely he can. Absolutely he can. That's the goodness of who God is. Now, our imperfections like, but I don't want them saved because of what they did. I get that. But that's evidence of part of a heart that doesn't understand the true goodness of who God is even in the midst of our own suffering because of what people have done to us. There is no darkness in him. We have, and so then he goes on to say, now listen, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, notice that there's a difference. Isaiah 29 will say, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jeremiah 30, 31 says the exact same thing. Let me just go there for you. Excuse me, Ezekiel. Look what he says. So my people, in 33, 31 of Ezekiel, so my people come to you in crowds and sit in front of you and hear your words, but they don't obey them. And although they express love with their mouths, their hearts pursue dishonest game. Yes, to them you are like a singer of love songs who has beautiful voice and plays skillfully in instruments. They hear your words, but they don't obey them. People will say that, hey, God hears every prayer. You know the Bible teaches that he doesn't? Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 10. Though you lift your hands to me and you pray, I will not hear you. Why? As a matter of fact, he goes on to say that I am sick of your new moons and your Sabbaths. See, who's God talking to there? He's actually talking to his people. Who have been honoring him maybe with their lips, but not with their heart. And they've been doing so many, and then to the point where they utterly walk away. You remember the story of Josiah? They, they didn't even know about the book of the law until somebody found some dusty old book in a corner of a temple somewhere. How far away from God do you have to be to where you don't even have his word anymore and you find some book covered with dust, you dust it off, and say, oh, look, hey, this is, this is the Word of God. How long have they been operating without it? I'm, I'm here to tell you that that's not something that is just set back in New Testament times. We have plenty of places that call themselves churches, but somewhere in the back is a dusty old Bible that they don't even use anymore. And the fear is... The concern, legitimate fear. 
not cowardly fear, but the legitimate fear is that we are operating in, in America on this ideal of Christianity that has nothing to do with the Bible or God, but has everything to do with you being comfortable. Come on in. Get your popcorn. Get your Diet Coke. Pick out your seat and get ready for the show. Hope this is a good movie. What do you think? Do you think it'll be a comedy? Do you think it'll be drama? What the, what's the message going to be like today? This is a very dangerous time. It's not just dangerous in other places. It's dangerous here in America, but, but not like you think. The danger is thinking you're something that you're not. Thinking you're following God, but what you're really following is a brand of, a, of Western Christianity that has nothing to do with true Christianity. See, he's going to great lengths here talking to his own people. He's not talking to those who are outside. He's talking to those who are on the inside. So, let's continue on with this. So, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk. So, what we say and what we do, what matters most is how you walk, not just what you say. If what you say doesn't match up with how you live, then you are lying and you're not practicing truth. Now, that's a pretty strong statement. And so, in American Christianity, you really have to water that down so people don't get a little flustered. you you got to change that from being you to being like maybe the other guy or those people down the street. Because we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to be challenged. We want the pastor to tell us that we're going to be okay. Just keep being who you are. Don't worry about transformation. God loves you. He created you to be who you are. All that kind of stuff. So what America is preaching, and it, in Europe it's, it's farther down the road than even in us, is a type of Christianity that has no transformative power in it whatsoever. And there is no such thing as a gospel without the power of transformation of the Holy Spirit. None. None. It's what Paul would call a false gospel. Not that it's a gospel at all. But it's a fake. And it does not lead to truth. Now look. But in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I, as I read John, I see that there's two things that he's talking about here. There's the event of where you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and then there's a cleansing that happens and you're seeing from the eyes of the Father as redeemed. But later on, and so that, that can kind of seem like as you're reading that, it's like, oh, well, then I'm, I'm totally cleansed. I'm totally redeemed. And, and you are from the Father's point of view because of what he looks through when he sees you, the sacrifice of Jesus. But there's also this thing called sanctification of where you're living your life from this point of your salvation to the point you go, to the point you die. And there's a cleansing that continues to happen in your life every step 
of the way. And John will get to that when he says, listen, I, I pray to you, you know, that, you know, that you will not sin. But if you do, there's an advocate, Jesus. Which means down this road of sanctification, sometimes the way I walk is going to be filled with the humanness of who I still am. Sometimes things may come out of my mouth when I'm driving. I don't know if you ever have that. We're driving, my, my daughter and I were driving just yesterday. And we're driving by Hy-Vee, the corner, you know. We just stopped at where old Smitty's used to be. It's wild they're tearing a lot of things down. Not that they shouldn't. But anyway, landscapes are changing. And we're going around that curve, and there's the, there's the get-off to go to Hy-Vee, that back way. So we're just driving. We're not going to Hy-Vee. We're just driving. All of a sudden, this person, I don't know, gender, guy or girl, I don't know. What did you say? Okay, she said it, not me. So um, as we're driving, they're in the outside lane. The exit is right here, and they fly into my lane trying to go to the exit. But instead of going right to the exit, they step in front of me in the lane that should be going and then jump over. So they turn, not from the turn lane, but from the drive lane. Now, why do they put turn lanes in, people? Can you tell me why? So that you get in that lane... You're not bothering the rest of the traffic, and then you turn. You should not turn from three lanes over. The DOT and the police department frown on that, okay? So this happens. I want to tell you that the enemy likes to try and resurrect the unsanctified Steve in those moments. Because in those moments, I have my daughter sitting right here. And there is a legitimate fear and an anger that you can have. The Bible does not say, do not be angry. The Bible says, be angry, but do not sin. Right? So I can be angry about what that person did. Because you're fighting with other words that want to come out. You want to call them dumb. You want to call them stupid. You want to call them an idiot. And you want to curse because of what they may have all, almost done to you, causing an accident, my daughter being on that side, whatever, right? So I, I can be angry, but I really got to check the cursing coming out of my mouth. And I'm not saying that I curse, but you all know that you're tested in those moments. And there's that temptation of wanting to curse. I'm not talking about swear words. I'm talking about my proclamation over their life because they did something stupid. I'm going to call them stupid. I'm going to call them an idiot. I'm going to call them, you know, like we do with our children. And then the smack came. How could you do something so stupid? What were you thinking? How could you embarrass us like that? Shame on you. Aren't you glad that has never come out of your mouth as a parent? Everybody's like shrinking back. Listen, I'm not bringing these things up to bring condemnation. I'm just letting you know there's a whole lot of humanness on this road to sanctification that we're all working through, okay? And just because you mess up doesn't mean you're condemned for the rest of your life. Thank you, Jesus, okay? Now, I'm walking on the road of light 
which means that when I do mess up, there's a whole lot of light that sees that darkness. And that light convicts me of the darkness and I have an advocate go to the Father and ask his forgiveness. Because, but that doesn't mean that I'm walking the road of darkness. That means I tripped on a root on the road of light. Okay? So as I'm further pursuing that, that righteousness, that road that I'm walking down, guess what happens? There's more strength and more sanctification and more godliness, not godlessness, but godliness that appears in my life because of my desire to walk. But if there's also this point, and Israel was doing it, where they were honoring God, they were going through the sacrifices, but there was no heart in that. There was just ritual. To the point that when Jesus comes into the temple, the temple, and he sees that the sacrifices being sold there are not perfect like they're supposed to be, that they're, you know, they're taking people for money and they're charging these exorbitant prices for the lambs or the turtle doves or whatever you could afford that were never supposed to be sold there. You were supposed to bring them yourself. And then they were, you had to exchange your common money for temple money. And that's like trying to exchange your money from a third world country to an America company and think, country and thinking you're going to get exactly your money back. That doesn't happen. <clears throat> and so he goes in there and he sees everything that was supposed, that was set up to be good to bring people back to the Father that the religious people of the day were using to fleece the flock. And he takes a whip of cords and he clears, he upsets, he upsets the unjust economy that they have built about taking advantage of God's people. Are you glad that didn't happen today? Wow. So we can read the Old Testament and we say, hey God, thank God I'm not like those people. But the problem is, is we have met the enemy and he is us. If we're not allowing the light to shine in these places in our life, that's when you begin to be comfortable with under darkness. And sooner or later, there becomes a transition on which the path is that you're walking on. You can resist the Holy Spirit, which becomes one of the most dangerous things that you can do in your life because you get comfortable ignoring his voice. God is not Zeus waiting to strike you with a lightning bolt. He is a God of love, but he's a God of holiness. And his holiness was appeased through Jesus. It's the only thing that could appease his holiness. The only thing that could appease his wrath from the sinfulness of mankind was the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. It's the only thing. And when we reject that, there's no other way to get to the Father. Now let's, let's move along with just a few more minutes. Look what he says here. Uh, so, uh, uh, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So what, he's what is he talking about there? He's like, there is the sin of mankind that we all have because we were all born under Adam. And you can't say, hey, I don't have any sin. I'm, I'm far better than that guy. That guy has killed people. I just called him an idiot. 
So in comparison to, to Hitler, I'm doing great. In comparison to Genghis Khan, I am wonderful. But they ain't going to be at that place. They're not going to be your advocates. There's no comparison, because your comparison is not with each other. This is the other thing I wanted to say that I, in Sunday school I didn't get to, is that when you're talking about standing before him, there ain't going to be anybody else there except Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you're in him, you don't go to the great white throne judgment. But at the great white throne judgment, I'm, my fear is that there will be people that will be there that never thought they were going to be there. They thought they were in Jesus, but Jesus was never in them. And you learn how to speak Christianese without experiencing the power of transformation. Listen, I'm not giving a message of condemnation on us. I'm saying, hey, let's make sure that the gospel we're reading is the gospel that we're living by. That's all. That's all. One of the things that, that strikes me is in Luke and even in Hebrews where he says that Jesus come. And listen, he is so good that he is going to discern even the intentions of your heart. That's not just a bad thing. That Even the good things that I do are going to be judged by the intentions by which I did them. That's your crowns. You say, well, what are you talking about? Listen, listen, I'm going to do a whole bunch of nice things for people so that I go get a whole bunch of good things and make myself look good in front of people. I'm going to do them in front of a lot of people. So I'm going to make sure that if I got a lot of money, I'm going to see people spin it. Oh, here, here, take some money. You're poor. Throwing my money out there. Everybody will know that I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm righteous. The Gospels say something different, don't they? Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when it comes to giving to people. Keep that stuff quiet so that you will have rewards in heaven. But if you make it loud here on earth, you're not going to have any reward. That is your reward. So the intentions by which I do things are even going to be judged. You're like, oh my gosh. Are we, how can we make it? Listen, we're going to make it just fine. These things, as long as we go by the truth of the word of God and not a bad form of Christianity that is not just in America, it's all over. It's, it's all over. It's spreading like a virus itself. Because there's nothing you have to put on the altar in that. I, I, I hate to even say form of Christianity. It's just a lie. Now, um, in verse 2, he says, I'm writing to you these things so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have the advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation, substitute of our sins. See, listen, it's not that God decided to be a good guy. He's a good guy. But he didn't just look at your sin and say, oh, I'll ignore it. He doesn't ignore sin. He can't because his holiness is perfect and it can't be violated without there being some type of recompense for that violation, right? So Lucifer strolling on up there and deciding to, to do a war and, and his problem is rebellion and he wants to be God and he wants to be worshipped and God didn't say, ah, oh, Lucifer, knock it off. There, you're really a sweet guy. Let's start being sweet, Louis. He didn't do that. Bible says that the war that happened, they were cast out. 
never, never again to experience the salvation that you and I do. Now, what we go through is we go through sin. We are born into it. There's things that we've done. Everybody in here can testify to their wickedness, although we don't want to. And God dealt with that on a cross about 2,000 years ago where the Bible says there are words that I don't understand in the Bible. It's not that I don't understand what they're saying. It's I don't understand the experience of it. When he's on the cross and he looks up and he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I believe it's at that instance through his suffering on the cross. Remember, it's not just the cross. It's the multiple beatings that he had took by soldiers and the whips that he had had throughout the, his time before it gets to the cross. So he's a bloody, mangled mess before he even gets to the cross. And then they drive the nails in his hands and his feet. The crown is on him, and a spear is going to go through inside. There's not much more you can do to that body. What has always been since the beginning, arche in Greek, since the beginning, what has always been the unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In one moment of time, there's a separation because in that moment, all of the sin of mankind is laid on the shoulders of the sacrifice. And God cannot look upon sin. So he turns his back. Not that he doesn't love him. But the sin is going on the cross. And that sin is every single sin of mankind, even the ones you haven't thought of yet, is laid upon him on that moment. He cries out to him, why have you forsaken me? Because of my sin. Because of my sin. He took it. Which means I don't own it anymore. He does. And he never brings it up to me. The Bible says that he's, he's taken my sin and he's thrown it as far as the east is west from the west. And, it, and, and for some reason, God has decided not to remember my sin anymore because he's dealt with it. Which means there's a freedom that I have that I don't understand. Because I got a good memory. Evidently, God has decided not to have a good memory. And not only has he forgotten my sin and he's dealt with that sin to the point where there is no longer any separation between me and the Father anymore. If Jesus is the means of appeasement for sin for the whole world, then we can't go anywhere else for that appeasement. Nothing else deals with the sin. Only he does. I think John is trying to make that clear because whatever is starting to happen here has been magnified in the 2,000 years since we've been waiting for his return. 
there's a type of salvation without dealing with the issue of sin. You, in your own humanness, are not enough. How's that? You, in your own humanness, cannot deal with your sinfulness because here's the thing, and I always say it, sin is not wrongdoing. Sin is wrong being. And John is trying to get that through, I think. He's talking about the event. He's talking about lifestyles. He's talking about, listen, if you're on the path of righteousness, if you're on the path of, path of life, then you can't have issues with brothers and sisters and not make it okay. If you're on the path of righteousness and you walk out of the store and you found out that she gave you too much money and change, you got to make that right because someone who's walking on the path of light understands that if I take that money that she gave me and I can say that was her fault, well, guess what? She is going to reap, or he, is going to reap the loss in the cash register because you could not be honest for their mistake. You have the great opportunity to be like Jesus. And even though she made a mistake, you're going to go back and you're going to go, hey, I think you gave me too much here. I want to make sure this is right. Like, well, that seems like a little thing. It starts little, doesn't it? It starts little. And it starts with you accepting that the little things don't matter so that the big things aren't big. I'm not preaching sinless perfection. I'm just preaching about what it looks like to be on the path of light and righteousness. And so, we do mess up. But when we do mess up, we make it right with him, and then we make it right with whoever we messed up with. All right. So we want to make sure that what we say and how we live match up. If you say you're a believer, if you say you're a Christian, you, you say you, you love God, then we want to see, you, you want to see that progression of growth in him on the path of righteousness. You're not going to be perfect. We get that. But that's not an out for you not to walk the path of righteousness. Now listen, if you're getting baptized today, why don't you go ahead and, and take off and get ready. Uh, change into the restrooms and you can meet back into the study which is you can go out in the hallway and it's right down there and and Miss Karen will be there and help you get um, in line and organized and ready to go so baptism is this sign guys we talked a bit a little bit about it last week but baptism is this sign it's this this thing we walk through that resembles what Christ did for us right Going down into the water is the dying of the old man. Coming up out of the water is the resurrection of the new man or woman who is in Christ. Not only that, but there are scriptures in Hebrews and other places that talk about the going down in the water and the coming back off also speaks to your deliverance. 
The scriptures go into detail about those who were baptized in Moses by going through the Red Sea. And it was about their deliverance. So when baptism is not, not just an outward sign of an inward transformation, it is partly that. But it is also about the reality of what you're being delivered from, what you're walking out of, and then what you're walking into. It's not just about being delivered from, it's about also being delivered to. And you're delivered from darkness and you're delivered into light. Now listen, last Sunday, we baptized a guy that you guys don't know. I get it. His name was Sean. And um, wonderful. Oh, seeing what God is doing in, in people's hearts. But uh, he came up out of that water and he was like, man, it was like he, he knew you guys were there, but he was like, there's just this like light and, and focus of, of what he experienced in baptism. Now, not everybody's going to have that, that outward manifestation, maybe. But you most likely will feel it. The significance of the moment of going down and coming back up a new creation. That's the goodness of the God of who we serve. That's the wonder and, and majesty and, and, and just, I, I, there's not even hardly enough good words in English that you can use to describe his mercy and his love towards you. Amen? All right, let's pray. And then we will celebrate. I'll give just a minute. Um, I don't suppose you can probably preach a message like this without. I don't know if everybody here knows Jesus. Have you been good at preaching or talking Christianese or have you experienced the fullness of salvation? Maybe your interest has peaked. Maybe you've gone to church so long that you've been anesthetized to the true words of the gospel. Maybe the Holy Spirit has illuminated something in you. And if so, I just want to say, now is the time. No smoke and mirrors. Receiving Jesus is simply, a, uh, begins with repentance. Would say the path that I was on was not right. And I'm choosing to change and walk towards Jesus and receive a sacrifice. It's not just necessarily a prayer. It's something that you've realized that you're committing your life to, to be a disciple of Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Burn the boats. <laughs> burn the plows. I'm not going in another direction. It's him and him only. And maybe that's you. Maybe the Holy Spirit has illuminated that and I would not be a good pastor if I not give just a little bit of time to let you respond to that. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife.aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.